Bible is a church because you can't trust preachers. And that's not even a joke. Uh, you need to be sure that what's being preached is in the Bible and that it's being preached accurately. It's why we encourage people to buy commentaries so you can look at what other scholars say and be sure that your minister is studying, is thinking through these things. And this, this isn't just a minute, a thought he had before he went to bed on Saturday night. Okay? You don't want to be listening to those. Uh, and so, uh, would you keep your Bibles open? And we're going to look at this together with us. Uh, although we've, it's Matthew that we had as a reading, we're going to do the resurrection story from John. So go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. If you open John 20, and we're covering verses 1 to 18 together. So that's John 20, verses 1 to 18. Look at that same scene that we just looked at from Matthew's gospel. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four independent eyewitness accounts of the same scene from different perspectives. And it's just wonderful to see how different authors who witnessed the same event, how they portray that to us. See, so if you've got that, let me just throw out this question. What sets Christianity apart from every other religion on the planet? What, what's our unique insignia? Yeah, but uh, yeah, he did. But I, I think, uh, yeah, I, that is one. Rosigan, what were you going to say too? Yes. So not even the death because they all die, but that one bit, Morag and uh, uh, Yvonne. It is Yvonne, isn't it? Sorry, Yvonne. Uh, so it is the one thing that sets apart Christianity from any other religion, any other thought, is that we're the only ones who claim, who have authority from historical records to say that our founder was first of all humiliated, assassinated, buried. Okay? We don't hear about other founders of religions having gone through that experience, but here's the thing. But then coming back to life after three days, it's unique. There's no other religion on the planet that even claims that such a thing happened in its history. And this is what we're looking at together. We want to look at the details. I want to just try and... Uh, but bring these words to you and look at the detail and give you a three-dimensional perspective on this event. So we're in John 20. Let's begin at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, Jesus had been crucified on what day? Friday. What time? No, he's crucified at 9 a.m. The whole ordeal began probably about 6 a.m. By 9 a.m. he's on the cross. How long is he on the cross for? Six hours at noon, 12, what happens? It goes dark, for, and then for the remainder of the time, as far as we're aware, it's dark, until at 3 p.m., six hours later, on Friday, Jesus finally dies, gives up his spirit. It's, it's about three hours away from the next day now. Why do I say that? It's 3 p.m., on Friday afternoon, it's Passover day, okay? It's approximately three hours from the next day. Why do we say that? Well, who knows? Who understands Jewish days? You start in the evening, okay? 
So the next day begins the evening of that day. Okay, so within a couple of hours, two, three hours now, it's going to be sunset. It will no longer be Thursday. It'll be the next day. It'll be Friday, rather. It'll be the Sabbath. The Sabbath is about to begin, okay? So this is, this is how you understand the days of Jesus, how we get three days, okay? He gets crucified on Good Friday, okay, during Passover. I'll do a sermon on this sometime later. At the precise time that the lambs are slaughtered is the time that Jesus is slaughtered, okay? And now it's three in the afternoon. It's just three hours away from sunset. It's the Sabbath. It's the preparation day. That's why they get their bodies down from the cross, early okay they don't want this happening on the sabbath so it's friday okay it's sunset is about to make it saturday it'll be the sabbath so the next day when does when does sunday begin when does day three begin saturday sundown okay that's how you get these three days okay saturday sundown and so the sundown saturday at 6 p.m roughly will have Sunday, which is, in Jewish reckoning, what number day? It's the first day. Saturday evening is the first day in the Jewish week. It's Sunday. And we're told it's then, look, on the early, on the first day. Okay, so, so this is very early. So this is not Saturday evening now, because that's just the beginning. This is the early hours. So this is now Sunday morning, very early Sunday morning on the first day they come. We're told in Matthew 16, 21, that he must be killed and raised. Look, uh, he must be killed on the third day, be raised to life. Jesus has told his disciples this numerous times. How many of them believed him? How many of them understood what he's talking about? I mean, who did they believe he was? Son of God. And so when Jesus talked about being killed and rising again, what are they thinking? Yeah, well, it's like, this must, be, this must be one of these weird things that Jesus is always going on about. And you weren't to be the one to ask Jesus, because he's, he's likely to say to you, what was he likely sometimes to say to his disciples? You, slow to learn. How long have I got to put up with you? I mean, he was quite impatient with these disciples because they should have understood. And so nobody would have wanted to ask him. Nobody really knew what was going to happen. They knew something was going to happen on the third day. Let me show you one example, Luke 24. This is the first Easter day. And two of the disciples are walking along the road, the road to Emmaus. Okay, they're having a conversation. And Jesus comes alongside them. And look, and, and this is what they say to Jesus, who they don't recognize, okay? But we'd hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day. You see, something had got in there. Okay, that captured something about the third day. They weren't sure what, but they knew that Jesus went on about the third day. Day one was Friday. Day two is Saturday. Day three is Sunday. It's now that third day, and they knew something would happen. So back to verse one again. We're told that early on the first day was twilight hours we're assuming okay with this air of expectancy we're told that mary magdalene next verse please thank you we're told that she came to the tomb she's not alone john is focusing on mary she obviously had a very special place as a disciple of Jesus, but she's with, she's with several other women, okay? And most probably Jesus' mom, 
too. So Mary and these women, they come to the tomb, okay? It's, it's been Passover on the Friday. It's been the Sabbath. And as a good Jew, what would they not have done on the Sabbath? Any form of work. So everything was left alone, okay? Now it's the early hours of Sunday, the first day. So it's Mary and the other ladies take the opportunity at the earliest moment they can to come to the tomb. They want to anoint Jesus' body because they hadn't had time to do it beforehand. The stone would have been there. How would these few women have moved the stone? They're coming to anoint Jesus' body. They know a hefty stone is there. How, and this is a, a five-foot-wide, two-ton stone rolled downhill over the thing. How were they expecting to get in? No, they, they would have done. They would have done. Yeah, they might not have had it. I think they would have done. Have a guess. How do you think they were expecting to get to Jesus' body? How? The two women, two-ton stone, uphill. <laughs> Who? Yes! Who was posted there to God, make sure nobody stole Jesus' body? Who? Two brute men. Now, they may have been able to roll the stone away, okay? So they're coming to expect soldiers, stone, who, who they're going to obviously plead with. Could you please give us access? We know, we're just women. We're not going to take his body. We just want to prepare him properly for burial. But instead, they come, okay? On the, early in the morning, okay, they come, and they saw what? This is real, okay? This is real. What did they see? Okay, where were the two soldiers? They're not there, are they? There's no mention of them. So here's what confronts Mary and the other ladies. Okay, first of all, the stone is gone. There's no soldiers. So what do you think Mary's thinking? Most seriously. I mean, no one's thinking. They haven't come expecting Jesus to be standing outside resurrected, have they? No, they've come to anoint a dead body. He's gone. He's dead. They watched the crucifixion. How many crucifixions do you think these ladies are seeing? This was a regular event. And what happens when someone's crucified? Three days later, are they shopping? They're gone. And so they're expecting a stone over the, the tomb, two soldiers, and instead the stone has been moved, the two soldiers are gone, and the only explanation, the only rational explanation is, look, what's, look she, she's seen that, we're told that she came running, she leaves for fear, because if, if somebody has desecrated a tomb, it's possible that she's coming on the, on the act. I mean, it's possible that they you know, you're not going to go in, are you? I remember once and late at night, sleeping. I, I woke up in the middle of the night, and, if, and I, I'm sure somebody was in the room. I could hear something. So guess what I did? I jumped out of my duvet, got my fist up, and said, Hey, come out here. I'm going to do you in. <laughs> do you think I did that? Guess what I did? I, I, I can't make sure my head was fully under the duvet, you know, and hope they didn't know I was there. Seriously. I don't know what happened next. I must have fallen back to sleep. I don't think anybody had come in. I just assumed they had. So Mary's not going to run in the tomb, is she? She thinks somebody's vandalizing, robbing the tombs. So she runs. 
Okay, which, which was undignified of a woman to do. But this is a panic situation. She runs to Simon Peter. He's the one. He's, he, Simon Peter's the big charismatic disciple. He always knows what to do. He's the leader. You run to Peter. Okay, so she runs to Peter. No doubt, you know, to ask, you know, what do you think she was going to say to him? Come quickly, Peter. They may still be there. For all she knows, you see, this is a robbery in progress. She's gone to get help. She's gone to get Peter. Look, she shouts, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, okay? We don't know where they put him. She doesn't know that, does she? She hasn't got a clue what's happened there. And so she comes to Peter out of, out of her natural mind, not knowing what has really happened, assuming he's gone, assuming something can be done. And so Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. They're running together. Peter is obviously the, the, the weightier of the other two disciples. Why do I say that? Yeah, because John, well, I was there. Look, they were running, and the other disciple, does anybody know who the other disciple is? It's John. He always talks about him in, himself in the first perspective in this gospel. They're running together. Peter obviously enjoys his lunch a lot more than John, and so he's left behind. Okay, what else could be slowing Peter down? Have a think about this. Yeah, well, what did he do three days earlier? So they're running for the tomb. Obviously, Jesus' body has been stolen, but something else could have possibly happened. Peter's a bit apprehensive because just three days earlier, three times, he says, I don't know who this man is. So they're both running. Peter gets there first, okay? Verse, uh, sorry, John gets there first. He, John, bent over and looked in. What's he not doing? He's not going in. Would you? I mean, who knows? For, this is a woman testifying. What, did you, what do we know about women's testimony in Jewish life? You don't trust them. And don't matter how many there are. Do you know, do you know, do you know Bron? Your word would never stand in court. Seriously. So who cares what these women are saying? She doesn't know what she's talking about, does she? She's a woman. Uh, look, I'm not saying that, okay? And so, so as far as John's concerned, there's either something weird going on there or there is somebody in there and he's not going in, okay? He just looks in. He can see, look, look what he can see. He bent over. He looked in at the strips of linen lying there but wouldn't go in. We're not sure quite what he's thinking just now, but we can only imagine the, the cogs are turning in John's head. Okay, by this time... Peter arrives, okay, he's been left behind, and in his cavalier style, if you want to be somebody, I think I want to be Peter. Boy, what does he do? He, we're, not, we're thinking, what's he doing? He's in there. He's in there. Okay, and even, if, even if there was somebody in there, Peter would give him a left hook. Seriously, you wouldn't want to mess with this guy. This is a hardened fisherman. He runs in there, okay? We told he went into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded by itself and separate from the linen. What does Peter know? That has not happened 
He's got to, by this time, he's got a chill running down his back. Why? What is he now certain has not happened here? This is not a vandalism. This is not robbery. When was the last time somebody broke in your house and then folded up your clothes neatly? Can you see? This is an eerie moment, okay? This isn't vandalism. No thief. And linen is expensive, okay? If you were raiding a tomb, you weren't after the body, were you? What were you after? The linen. It's expensive, okay? The fact that it's folded neatly, put there. This is eerie now, okay? This is beyond anything that Peter or the others could possibly have discerned. We're told in Luke, in Luke's account, he tells us that Peter went away wondering to himself what had happened. What can't he believe? He can't. You see, look, that scene, dead people come to life in Jesus' ministry, but the difference was Jesus was alive doing it. What's the difference now? The doer is gone, you see? He's dead. And so he just cannot bring himself around to, but perhaps he doesn't want to believe that, does he? This isn't in Peter's interest. Okay? Because if Jesus is alive, Peter... Okay, what position in the queue did Peter hold? Number one. Where's he going? Okay? And so Peter can't quite believe it. But listen to John. Now, John, on the other hand, responds differently. Verse 8, finally, the other disciple, finally, the, the cogs are turning. Obviously, Peter's communicated. Look, John, I know you've only seen from the outside, but somebody has folded the clothes. And so for John, look, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside. He goes, he sees it. He's never seen a scenario like this. John, he's got nothing to lose. That's it, John. John, we're told. But what, what are we told? Is it there? He saw and believed. John, it seems, is the first disciple. The first person. Mary's the first person we're going to see to have an encounter with Jesus in a minute. But the very first person to believe the resurrection is John. He comes to faith. He's believing the most stupendous reality <laughs> that Jesus is alive. We can't quite imagine what he's feeling except this must be great, unimaginable uh, uh, joy. Verse 9, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So here's the thing. John believes Jesus isn't there, he's alive, but he's not necessarily thinking what? He's not necessarily thinking what? Yeah, that Jesus is walking around like before. He's not thinking that, is he? What, what is he thinking? Yeah, that Jesus, he truly is God. Look, he defeated death. God's taken his body. So, so his belief isn't full Christian belief. He's not believing a resurrection in the way that we believe. He hasn't been told. He hasn't understood the scriptures. He doesn't realize that, that Jesus had to come back. Look, well, here's what the psalm says, Psalm 16, 10. You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. He's not believing Christian resurrection, I don't think. This is more that God 
has vindicated Jesus and taken him to heaven. You know, death couldn't hold him. And so the scene continues. We're back onto Mary now. John wants us to remember, remember John is writing this, isn't he? He's come to faith. But he has, and he knows, and this is the great, and this is one of the details. You see, you, when you read the Gospels, you realize these are true accounts. Because if you were writing this account, Mabron, how would you portray yourself? Yeah, as the hero. Jonathan, who, who, is he, who does he want the hero to be here? Jesus and, humanly speaking, Mary. He wants to give credit where credit is due here. It's Mary who comes to the full realization of resurrected Jesus. And he's keeping himself back here. This is real humility. Shows something of the authenticity of the gospel. Okay? He, he puts the camera back onto Mary. Look, he wants us to know what's happening with Mary. But Mary stood outside the tomb. She remained. They've gone. Okay? John's gone believing Jesus is back to heaven, perhaps. Peter can't believe it, won't believe it, doesn't want to believe it. Okay? But Mary stays back. Okay? Now, what does she believe has happened? Yeah, she does, yeah. She's still on, the, on that first thread that Jesus' body has been stolen. Whatever John has believed, he either hasn't told her or she can't quite believe it. Mary's crying because as far as she's concerned, somebody has taken Jesus' body away. And look, so verse 11, but she wept and bent over to look into the tomb, obviously now mustering enough courage to look for herself. And here's, a, well, here's the, the, the grace of Jesus, verse 12, and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, they speak human language, woman, why are you crying? Now, listen to Mary's response. How does she respond to this? Someone read that, please. So, what's that tell you about her encounter with these two angels? Because we, we, we're these crazy pictures of angels, okay? These crazy imaginary things about angels, okay? You know, wings and all sorts. What's this? She doesn't even think they're angels. Okay? Here's one way you can know if you've ever met an angel. He won't be flying with feathers, with wings on his back. Okay? You haven't seen an angel. That's the figment of your imagination. I'm sorry to diffuse any, any, any bubbles here. That's not an angel. That's an imagination. Because when Mary sees an angel, she doesn't even know he's not human. Look how she's communicating with him. She's communicating with him as though he's a real person. Okay, it's what Hebrews says. We can entertain angels unawares. That's because they don't wear wings. Okay? They, they look human, it seems. So look, she's talking to them, look, and assuming them, them to be just people communicates. Why are you crying? Because they've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they've put him. Still, still assuming vandals are responsible for here. And so at verse 14 now, Jesus finally enters the scene. And you see, this is just lovely. You know, did, what did Jesus do for Peter and John when they came? Nothing. Okay? 
Remember the, 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 the place of women in this society? Really low. And here's Jesus. First of all, he set up two angels. And now, finally, what does he do to this scene? He steps into it. I don't know. Maybe more said, maybe it's because she didn't disbelieve. I'm inclined to think more. It's more, he's just showing this lady doing something for a woman that no other religious leader in the history of the world has done for a woman. He puts her at the top of the pecking order. He makes a special, and maybe two more, we don't know. This, this is a woman that Jesus has delivered of several demons, okay? And she's followed him around. She's, she pops up various places. That there's, a real, there's a real affection here, okay? This is why the world has abused this relationship and, and written some terrible things that they have no biblical foundation for. But one thing that there is some biblical that there's a special affection. Jesus has special affections for certain. Remember Mary? And some people think this is Mary Lazarus' his sister. I'm not convinced, but possibly. Okay? So we don't know, possibly more. But, but Jesus is certainly giving this woman special privileges, given no other person. Look, she turned and saw Jesus standing there. Remember John is scripting this from Mary's eyewitness account. She doesn't know, look, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. As far as she's concerned, it's some guy. She's, can only, she's only got eyes for Jesus. And she knew what Jesus looked like. The fact that she didn't recognize him. Look, it may be because she was crying. It may be because it's twilight. I don't think so. Okay? Why do you think she doesn't recognize Jesus? It's a reason Jesus. Okay? Jesus is the first resurrected human. Okay? Okay, so everything you, you see about Jesus' resurrection is the resurrection gloria that you will get, a body just like this one. So what's that tell us? Okay, at least one aspect of resurrected bodies is what? They look different. You're thinking, boy, he's going to look good in heaven, isn't he? <laughs> right, yeah, really, the one thing about resurrected bodies, they don't look the same. We will not recognize each other in heaven by the shape of our noses, even if you've had to put a false nose on paper, okay? Okay, we'll recognize ourselves in heaven. Let me ask you before I get to it, because this is how we're going to How will we recognize, if we don't look the same, how will we recognize each other? Heart? Character? You see, what's that? Spirit? Yeah, there'd be, a, there'd be, a, there'd be a, a, some knowledge. But here's the thing, see, if you met somebody and they've been injured in an accident and, and, and their face was disfigured beyond recognition and they spoke to you, would you recognize them? Of course you would. It, yeah, but even if their voice had changed, would you recognize anything about the way they spoke? Yeah. We give ourselves away by the way we say something, the way we say a word. Look, if I say doodly, okay, okay, Right, anybody in Britain, you may not be aware of this, but people know. No matter where I live in Britain, the minute I say Dudley, they instantly know the location I'm from. There's only, only Montas and the rest of the black country people say Dudley quite that way. Okay, and, and the thing about the way we recognize each other is, is that we, we say things certain ways. Mary doesn't recognize Jesus because of the way he looks. Okay, we're told in Luke 24, 16, that when the two in Emmaus Road were walking, that they didn't recognize Jesus. They were kept from recognizing him. We're not sure quite what, but let me ask you, those two from Emmaus Road, 
At what point did they recognize Jesus? What did he do that made them recognize Jesus? It wasn't even his conversation there. He did something. Yeah, he broke bread. And they'd witnessed that three days earlier. Okay, so it's what they saw. In this case, it's going to be something different. Okay, well, let me just move on to John 21, please, if you would, Malachi. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. Uh, we'll ignore that one too. Just verse 15, please. Go to verse 15. Yeah, we'll ignore those verses if you don't mind. Just keep moving forward. Thank you. Verse 15. Jesus finally speaks to a woman. Okay. Why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Okay, so she still thinks he's the gardener. And then finally, okay, so she responds, if you carry him away, please tell me where. She's convinced he's gone. He's convinced he's been stolen. And then finally, Jesus does something that opens her eyes. What is it? He's already been speaking to her. So it's not just mere speech. What is it now that opens Mary's eyes? Why can she now recognize him? He uses a name. And what is it about using a name? Okay, he's already been speaking. What is it about her name? It's the way he says it. Nobody on this earth says Jesus' name, Mary's name, the way that Jesus did. Isn't that how we relate to each other? How do you know when someone that, you know, that, that you, are, you know, affectionate towards is calling you? Even if they say the same word, the same accent, there's a way that only they say it. I mean, if you call Bron, like, Bron! <laughs> when you say that... She knows it's you, you see. Okay? Yeah? Right. And, and, and so, so, so when Jesus says this, I think you have to, so we have to understand, nobody says her name like the way that Jesus did Mary. And so instantly, not by the tone, not by the, his accent, not by how he looks, but by the way, okay, his voice modulated. When he said her name, she knows it's the Lord. And look, she turns to him and cried in Aramaic, Roboni, which means teacher. She sees Jesus, believes Jesus, and regardless of how he looks, she knows that Jesus is alive. Mary sees the resurrected Jesus is the first human to come to full resurrection Faith in Jesus. You could argue she's the very first. What? She's the very first Christian. We have to understand a Christian is somebody who has that full understanding of Jesus, both death and resurrection. Mary is, probably, is potentially, uh, you know, theoretically, well, you know, in, in, you know, in textbooks. She is the very first Christian of the church. Wow. Wow. That's how much credibility and grace Jesus gave to women. Made her, if you like, at the very top of the hill. So Mary recognizes Jesus. She comes to faith in him. Look, I've finished my message. Let me close with these words, okay? The significance of the third day is that this is Jesus. This is Christianity's greatest trophy. 
This is one we have on the mantelpiece. See, the reason we have the cross is because it's easy to pull up, isn't it? What should we really have on there? Well, at least alongside it is the empty tomb. The stone rolled away. Because this is our trophy. You see, people die in other religions. But no one comes back to life afterwards. Walks around, talks. We're going to see on another occasion how Jesus walked and talked and people saw him. So here's what I want to leave you with, friends. At Easter, we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's Son. What does that resurrection to him coming back to life do to all those crazy things he said about himself or hinted at about himself about being God? What does that resurrection do? It seals it. You see, see, I could say, and some crazy people like me say it, and they've said it all through history, really crazy people, crazier than me, I'm God. You know, God sent me. I'm starting a new religion, a new holy book. Follow me. You know, what do you have to see to believe someone who says that? Proof. Yeah. Next time somebody says that God sent them, ask them for proof. Do you know one of the biggest religions in this world has as his founder someone who claimed great things but never gave a single thing as evidence for that? Jesus not only did the stupendous miracles that he did, his greatest, his finale, the seals once and for all that this is God, is you kill me in the most vicious and vile, traumatic, visible way, where there's no doubt that I'm dead. You bury me, okay? You seal that burial chamber, and I'll come back. That's the most amazing proof of Jesus. He said, it's why we believe it. It's why I believe it. If you could show me and prove to me that Jesus' disciples stole that body... I will walk away from this church. Okay, and you can, I'll serve you hamburgers then at McDonald's. Seriously. I'm not in this because this is a belief. What does belief do for you? I could believe I'm an alligator. Chop, chop, chop. I mean, would that make Lauren afraid of me? Are you afraid of me as an alligator, Lauren? <laughs> yeah, she is. <laughs> I could be telling the truth, couldn't I? Okay, see... Who cares what I say? Okay? Jesus says many things, but it's his resurrection. I want to say this to your friends. Christianity is alive today, is existing today, is growing today, is having new members join his church today because Jesus proved his God by bringing himself back from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, we're told, and this is the wonder of it, that if we believe in him, what will happen to us just as though we were Jesus? What will happen to us at the end of time? We'll come alive. That's your hope, Christian. Your hope is that when you're put in the grave, when you're buried, when your body's decayed, and even if it's in a million trillion pieces, when Jesus comes back, he's demonstrated by doing it to himself. If he can do it once, I'm sure he can do it again. He demonstrated by doing it to himself that he'll do what to you? resurrect you to everlasting life. That's your hope. That's what Easter's telling you. 
telling you, Shane, telling you, Alan, telling you, Gloria, telling you, Catherine, okay, and telling Connie and that little chap there <laughs> that there's a resurrection to life. And so the only question that remains is, will you be resurrected to live in Jesus' heaven forever? Or will you be resurrected to stand and face Jesus as your judge, having sworn his name, having walked away from church, having ignored his rules for life, having put him on the back of your agenda? Are you ready to face Jesus? See, we will be resurrected. We will be raised to life. It's just a matter of will we stand before him as a judge or as our God and friend? And the, what the demarcation line is simply this verse. And the last verse, please, and we're going to finish now for sure. The last verse, please. Is it there? And the one after. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe what we've said this morning? Has that belief just stopped in your head or has that belief transformed the way you conduct yourself? When was the last time you were in church? You see, to say I believe in Jesus and wait for heaven and you've never time to be at church, to hear the Bible being taught, to be encouraged to live that faith, ultimately means your belief counts for nothing. I wonder if you understand that. To say I believe and not to do Christianity in a visible way, that belief counts for nothing. I can show you someone who believes just like you. He's called the devil. He believes in Jesus. He believes in Jesus' resurrection. He believes in the Bible but there's no heaven for him. If my belief doesn't go beyond the gray cells there and doesn't show itself up at church regularly, doesn't show itself obeying what Jesus says regularly, doesn't count for a thing. May God move us from mere belief in mere facts to heartfelt transformation. So that if I was put on trial for being a Christian, there'd be a million witnesses condemning me. He's been with Jesus. I see him every Sunday at church. I see him reading the Bible. I see him in prayer. I see him meticulously lining his life with Jesus's. He's a Christian judge. Condemn him. If, if I can't have witnesses that say that about me, I'm not a believer. It's just there. May God grant us true, genuine, saving faith, not just in the death, but in the resurrection of Jesus.